0: As you're finding your seats, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Now we've talked a lot about the corruption in this world. We've looked at many descriptions thus far of the corruption that will exist in the last days. One of the things that we're keenly aware of in our world today is the corruption in politics, the corruption in our culture, the the moral corruption that has so afflicted our culture globally, but especially in the United States, that we're constantly lamenting the state of this wicked world. And yet, as you know, I've tried to encourage you to know that God is in control of all things. One of the things that's deeply distressing to me as a Christian and as a pastor is that the corruption that has existed in our world for thousands of years is not just political. It's not just moral or cultural. It's religious. There is a great deal of religious corruption that has existed from the time of Christ, even before then, but especially from the time of Christ, even up until today. And I want to remind you that through the middle centuries, for thousands, 2,000 years now, there have been religious institutions that have been as corrupt, if not more corrupt, than the governments of this world. That system will be judged. That system will be destroyed by God. And to know that God is aware of it is comforting. To know that God will judge it eventually is comforting. That he will call his people out of the religious systems of this world in the last days and destroy that system that has so afflicted the faithful throughout the centuries is the encouragement I have for you this morning to know that God is faithful in this as well. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises to bring purity and justice to this world. And that you'll judge every evil institution. And as we look today at the wickedness that has existed on this earth in institutions that have truly projected to the world that they represent you, when in fact that is just not true, we look forward to the day when you set things right in the ecclesiastic world as well as the political world. We know that that day will come, we know that there will be darkness before it comes, but to know that the day will come where you set things right is our encouragement that we want to take into our hearts today and carry with us home, and not just to share with the world that you're a just God, but to know that we can set our hearts right now and share the true and the living gospel with those who perhaps are even recovering from the abuse and the corruption that they've experienced in the organized church. Oh, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today deals with the Roman church. Because the Roman church was the only church for so many, many years, that system is intact today. Since about the 1500s, many other types of organized religion have splintered out from the Roman church. But there have been no shortage of examples of corruption in organized religion, which has, for the most part, really discouraged people from coming to know Christ. And that's sad, isn't it? You would think religion and religious systems would promote the gospel, but instead they oftentimes hinder the gospel. But God is going to come and deal with that. And we're going to see in the last days, we are introduced in chapter 17 in verse 1, to a woman who represents a religious system. She's called a number of different things, but specifically she's called or referred to as the woman that rides the beast or the great prostitute. This woman represents a religious system that will exist in the future, but whose foundations have existed for 2,000 years. It is the corrupt church that proclaims the name of Christ but defies the word of God. It still exists today, and we're going to look a little at the history of this organization and the many organizations that could also be compared to it, but I want to stop and say the organization doesn't exist in the form that it will exist in in the last seven years of tribulation before Christ comes again. So some of what we're going to talk about is true in history. Some of it's true in the present But all of it will be true in the future. Are you with me? Say amen. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. John receives a vision, and that's exactly what it is. And so it symbolizes or represents something we're going to look at more closely today. John tells us that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. These are phrases that we've already looked at in previous studies. But now over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look very closely at this particular institution, the organized church, and specifically the great prostitute that rides the beast or is supported by the beast in his government, the Antichrist, and this last days government that will emerge... She is called a prostitute, and that is a very difficult word to use in church, but it's in the Bible. There is another word that is perhaps a little bit more offensive, and I thank our NIV translators for giving me this one. She is a prostitute who is described as sitting on many waters. She's an influential power that will be punished by God. That's the context of the next two chapters. Her judgment is described in detail in chapter 18. And the final judgment, this final judgment of this woman and what she represents, will usher in the second coming of Christ. It's one of the final things that God will do before he returns. He will set things right. Now, if you're wondering about the symbols... The Bible always has great commentary on the Bible. If you were to look at verse 15 of this chapter, this very same chapter, you'd find that the waters represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So this organization is greater than any one nation. This, this organization in- includes multitudes of, uh, of people, nations, and even de- definitely very many language groups. I think you'll see very clearly where we're going with this. The kings of the earth, we're told, that is the political powers, are described as committing adultery with her. And she is described as intoxicating the inhabitants of the earth. So you have a religious organization that intoxicates, affects, and influences the political powers of the world. And then you have these uh, political powers in bed with it 's a very good analogy here in bed with this religious system, we know that this woman represents a city, a city that is guilty of spiritual adultery with the world. Now God spoke of Jerusalem in this same way when he spoke of the judgment that would have come upon the Jews in Isaiah chapter one, but in order for the for us to to properly interpret this city 's location and identity, you need to understand. This city must claim to have a spiritual relationship with God to deserve such an allegation. So you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Tim's talking about San Francisco or Portland or Seattle. No, because those cities don't claim to have a spiritual relationship with God. I think we know that the only city that qualifies as such is the Vatican, and the roman catholic church now for those of you who've come out of the roman catholic church or possibly still attend the roman catholic church my point here is not to offend you or to criticize your particular denomination or faith i am simply going to point out the facts i'm also going to say that uh, this church that we're talking about in the last days this organization it doesn't exist yet, but the foundation of this organization has existed for centuries. Also, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, which is the Anglican Church, which is not much better. If, you might say it, even worse. There are many other churches that sort of spun off of the Church of the Middle Ages, and they're not much better either. In fact, I can go so far as to say, I find my values and my morals more in line with the Roman Catholic Church today than with most of the other Protestant churches that came out of the Protestant Reformation. So just think about that. I'm not here to pick on Catholics. I'm not here to pick on Protestants. I, by the way, am neither. I like to think of my faith as going back to the first century. It's apostolic. I don't even look at the church fathers so much because they confused things themselves. They were just men. I look at the first century. I look at the, the New Testament. And I find my faith represented most accurately by Jesus and his apostles and the first century church. So I am neither a Protestant nor a Catholic, and I'm not here to bash anyone either. If something I say offends you today, know that it wasn't my intention Also know that you can come to me and speak to me about it. So I can reassure you that that wasn't my intention. That was not my intention. But the truth is the truth. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. This city, the Vatican, which is, by the way, a city-state, it is a country of its own. It is not part of Italy. It is technically separate. It has its own government. It is its own government. And it is not just a government It is, of course, more than that. It is the seat of a religious system that exists today and has existed for many, many years. Now, this city, the Vatican, alone claims to be the worldwide headquarters of Christianity. It's claimed this relationship since its beginning and maintains that claim to this day. Its pope claims to be the exclusive representative of God, the vicar of Christ, It promotes the image of a false, sinless, perpetually virgin, all-powerful Mary, and continues to promote that heresy to this day. (gasps) Did you just say that? Yes, I did. Because it's the truth. Mary was blessed above all women, but at no point did she become sinless or equal to her son Jesus. But that is at the center of the doctrines of this institution. The Vatican is obsessed with the earthly enterprise, as history clearly proves. It has always been engaged in adulterous relationships with the kings of the earth. I am a student of history, especially European history. And anyone that studied it even a little knows that when you talk about the Holy Roman Empire, you're talking about a particular government that was recognized by the Vatican as being the protector of the Vatican. So this kind of stuff happened throughout the centuries, and to deny it is foolishness. It simply is true. A political enterprise like the Vatican has always sought to influence and still does the kings of the earth today, and this will increase in the last days. You see, even Catholic historians acknowledge these facts. They may not talk about it, but you need to know it's true. Now, John continues here in verse 3, and I'm going to read the rest of our section today. In verse 3, we read that then the angel carried me away, John writes, in the spirit. Now, is the third time that he's described an experience like this, being carried away in the spirit into a desert. Now, this is a vision. And then I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. And had seven heads, this is the beast, and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. And she held a cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes, and of the Abominations of the Earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now this is a very accurate historical description or or description of the historical church, the Roman church, clearly. But keep in mind that what we're looking forward to, not in the sense that we want it to happen, but we're looking forward to the judgment of God. To come upon this, we anticipate this organization being destroyed by God because God told us he would do it. That's not something that can be disputed. That is simply the word of God. So John is once again in the spirit, and he he sees the beast that was covered with blasphemous, blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. We've talked about this going back to chapter 13. This scarlet beast is the same beast that John saw come out of the sea. It represents a leader, but it represents his kingdom as well. The woman that is described in this chapter apparently came into power on the back of the coming world leader and his kingdom. The power that this institution will assume in the last days has to do with her marriage, if you will, or her adulteries with this world government that will emerge in the last days. Now, we'll get to this next week, but in verses 9 through 11, we're told what these heads and the, uh, the, the horns represent in verses 9 through 11, we're told that the seven heads are seven hills on which the city sits. And that is an apt description of Rome. Rome is a city, not the only city, but a city that sits on seven hills. And that it also represents seven kings or forms of government. About the time that John was experiencing this vision, uh, there had been six forms of government and the seventh uh, certainly uh, emerged. So It describes the history of Rome as an empire, essentially. I don't want to get too much into that this morning, but there will be a revived Roman Empire, which will be the seat of Satan's power during the Tribulation. Rome will also be the center of a false religious system that actually worships Satan. So things are going to get worse. They're not that bad yet. They're pretty bad, but they're not that bad yet. They're going to get a lot worse. And it's important to understand the reason this would happen Because I do believe there are many good people involved in this system. I believe that there are many devout people who worship in these churches and cathedrals. I believe that all of them will be raptured and brought up to the throne of God with the rest of us. You see, your doctrine doesn't have to be perfect for you to be a Christian. Have you figured that out? Because I'm not perfect, and neither are you. It's your heart, it's do you belong to Christ, and the day will come. And I know there are some who say, well, Catholics can't be Christians. Well, I I would dare to defy that statement and simply say that not all of us know everything about God or his truth or even his word, but if you love God, if you belong to Christ, that doesn't matter so much. What matters is that the day will come where all of those who are truly seeking God within this system and other religious systems will no longer be here. So what will be left behind? Think about it. Therefore, it's not hard to imagine why this religious system will ultimately become extremely corrupt. Though it is somewhat corrupt today, it will become demonically corrupt. So that's the, the, the genesis of what you can expect to happen over time. And I, and I put that out there so that you understand we're not seeing this system like it's described here yet. Yet. We're seeing the foundation of that system, not the system itself. Although much of the corruption that's talked about in the scriptures has already happened over the years. Maybe not happening today to the same degree, but certainly has. The ten horns which are mentioned are ten kings that will receive power along with the coming world ruler. We've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again in verses 12 and 13. There are apparently ten kingdoms... Maybe they're just European kingdoms, maybe they're worldwide kingdoms, we don't know, but they will give their power to the beast, the Antichrist, and his political system, and this woman represents a religious system that will be committing adultery with that political system, which very much accurately describes the middle centuries in Europe. That's exactly what was happening, and if you haven't read... uh, The medieval history or the Middle Ages history, you need to because you'll see that that is clearly true. In fact, the monasteries, the monks, those who separated themselves from this system, had to in order to try to live godly lives. And then, of course, over time, they became corrupt. Not all, but many of them became corrupt as well. So you're seeing that man, you know, just gets involved in something, and if the Holy Spirit isn't given free reign, Every religious system ultimately becomes corrupt. Hey, let's forget about these more ancient denominations. Let's look at today's world. Let's look at some of the modern denominations that are doing the very same thing. You know, it's very easy to cast stones. But wait a minute. Look at the world. Think about some of the false religions or cults that have emerged in the last 100 to 200 years think about some of the churches that once were very good that aren't very good anymore that are promoting all manner of evil it's not hard to imagine that religious systems become corrupt over time that's all we're saying today we're not criticizing the principles that some of these churches hold up we're criticizing the way that they practice in some of these religious systems And I think if we're honest with one another, we know the Vatican certainly is culpable. However, let's move on. The woman is described as being dressed in purple and scarlet with glittering gold, precious stones, and pearls. That is an extremely accurate description of what takes place in most cathedrals and churches today. In fact, she was dressed and adorned in the colors and the trappings of both pagan and Christian Rome. These were the colors of the Caesars. And it comes up when they mocked Christ. They, they abused him and the Praetorian. And, they, and what did they do? They clothed him in what? The colors of the Roman government. said, Hail to the king. They bowed down to him as they struck him and abused him. But the colors were purple and scarlet. The Vatican later took the same colors of the Roman Empire for themselves. They're still the colors of the Catholic Church today. Bishops wear purple, cardinals wear scarlet. Don't be surprised that these things are true. The Bible is always true. This woman was adorned with the wealth and the jewelry of both pagan and Christian Rome. You see, what happened when Christian Rome emerged is it emerged among pagans. And they took a lot of the paganism, some of the Judaism, and true Christianity And they merged it together, and it became Romanism. So Romanism equals paganism plus Judaism plus Christianity. And that's what emerged. That's what happened. And that's where the corruption began, going back to the early part of the 300s. Constantine, the emperor, essentially commandeered Christianity and took over so he could influence people with this religion. And they killed many Christians, many true believers as well. I think of the slaughtering of the Donatists that took place. They tried to wipe them out. Ultimately, they weren't able to. But that that took place very early on in human history because it was corrupt from its foundation. Not the church, not the church of Jesus Christ, but this particular superstructure or religious organization was corrupt from its very beginning. It never had a moment of purity in its entire existence. Yes, I said that. Because I read history... I know what has happened in the past, and I know this. You have to tell the truth about things. You do. Now, here's the thing. The Roman Catholic Church is by far the wealthiest institution on earth. No question about it. There is no religious institution, past, present, that has ever come close, or will ever come close. Most of Rome's wealth has been acquired through the sale of salvation, through indulgences. That is, promising people they can go to heaven and be released from purgatory by making a down payment on an installment plan to be saved. Untold billions of dollars have been paid to purchase heaven in this way. Notice the image. The woman held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Think about that statement. Think about that image. That is the very image of the Vatican. She used her cup to seduce the peoples of the earth with the wine of her adulteries. Now, the golden chalice of the Eucharist is the holiest instrument in Roman Catholicism. I think you know that. It is the most important of all the sacred vessels. It may be made of gold or silver, but if it's made of silver, the inside must be surfaced with gold. The abomination within the golden chalice that's described here in the word of God refers to what is called the sacrifice of the mass. Now, I know you may not know this. Many Catholics don't know this. But every time they serve communion, it's not a memorial of Christ's death on the cross. It's a literal mass. It's a slaying. It's a sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ each and every time they do it. So when Christ said on the cross, it is finished, that is not the case in Roman Catholicism. It is a sacrament that must be received in order to be saved and must be continually received in order to be continually saved. Do the math. This, to me, sounds like an abomination and could easily be the interpretation of what we read here. This is the heart of Roman Catholicism. It's the denial of Christ's completed work on the cross. And so, therefore, I agree. It is an abomination to suggest that Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient payment for our sins. Now, she used this image here. She used her cup to corrupt the people of the earth with the filth of her adulteries. That's another term, not just the intoxication, but the filth of her adulteries. Remember, the adultery describes her marriage, if you will, or involvement with the world and the political systems. The filth of her adulteries refers to the worldly corruption that clearly exists in the Vatican— There are too many documents of corrupt banking practices, laundering of drug money, trading in counterfeit securities, dealings with the mafia, which are fully documented in police and court records. This is not subject to debate. It is the truth. So the filth of her adulteries also refers to the sexual immorality that is so prevalent within this church. I saw a movie a couple of years ago called Spotlight. Uh, Maybe it's not for everyone, but it documents, I think it was the Boston Globe, did did an investigation on some of the accusations against the Roman Catholic Church in the Diocese of Boston. And what they found was horrific. It's a worthwhile watch if you have a chance. It documents what actually happened and what they found. And that's just one small aspect of the corruption that exists worldwide in this church. And I think we know that very well. If you've read the newspaper or ever read a newspaper, you know that this is true. She has a title written on her forehead, and it directly identifies her with Rome. For example, mystery. Mystery is one of the things that's on her forehead. It's at the very heart of Roman Catholicism. The alleged transformation of the bread and the wine into the literal body and blood of Christ is a mystery. The enigmatic apparitions of Mary around the world are mysterious Every sacrament from baptism to extreme unction manifests a, quote-unquote, mysterious power. One must believe that the priests wield this power for which there is no visible or spiritual evidence. By the way, when we receive communion together, just to be clear, we do not believe in what they call transubstantiation, the mysterious transformation of the matzah and the grape juice into the literal, not figurative, literal, actual body and blood of Christ. We do not believe that. I grew up in a church that did. Maybe you did as well. So we receive communion. It is a memorial. We do this in remembrance of him. We don't consume his body. We take the elements that represent his body and his blood and we receive them in remembrance of him. By the way, simple little truth here. When Jesus took the elements and said, this is my body and this is my blood, he was still alive. So why would you interpret that as anything else? Just think about it logically. I know it's hard because some of us grew up this way and, and it kind of grates our cheese. You know, We're kind of like, I don't know, I, just, I, can't, I can't really accept that truth. I, I'm sorry, that's difficult. But it's still true. You know, the new Roman catechism explains, or catechism explains, that liturgy aims to initiate souls into the mystery of Christ and that the church's entire liturgy is mystery. So the fact that the title, On the Woman, says mystery is pretty obvious to me as a description of this I call mystery church. Rome has its spiritual foundations in Babylon the Great as well, another name that's given to this woman. From its occultic origins to the attempt to reach heaven by steps of its own making, the Tower of Babel. This goes right back to the origin of all paganism. Babylon was the first of many religious states, and Rome certainly followed its lead. Babylon was also used as a code name for Rome by Peter in 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 13. Its judgment, the judgment of this system and that city has already been mentioned twice in Revelation. In chapter 14 verse 8 it was hinted at, mentioned, and it was mentioned in our study, I believe last week, in chapter 16 verse 19. That leads us to this description here and the destruction that will be described in the next two studies that we go through in this section. By the way, Babylon is mentioned 287 times in Scripture. Only the city of Jerusalem is mentioned more. So Babylon and Rome, Rome and Babylon, they are literally different places, but figuratively they are the same because the corruption and paganism of Babylon was adopted by Rome. And by the way, you guys know I'm a big fan of ancient civilizations and history and that I have studied a lot of uh, greek mythology but also roman mythology but it all comes from egypt and it not all comes from babylon so like when you look at one of the gods minerva is athena is isis is you know all the way back to to Moose. you know you 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 have different names for all of the same beings and i and i question why is there so much symmetry why is there so much uh, consistency well perhaps It's because the origin was in Babylon. It just sort of carried over to different language groups. But also, I wonder sometimes, I really do, I I, I don't know, if the demonic influence in these pagan religions really does have some source in pagan and demonic figures, evil spirits. If some of the same evil spirits that want to be worshipped as Minerva and Athena and Isis and Timus are actually the same, Maybe it's just mythology. Maybe it's just legend. Or maybe there's a spiritual source for some of these things. I don't know. It's all wicked. I do know that Paul, when he talks about paganism in the first century, talks about it being a doctrine of demons, talks about it being really not just idols, but demons. So there's at least a chance that that is true. So this is pretty wicked. That's the point. It's very corrupt. It's a very corrupt system. That is Babylon the Great. So when we talk about Rome having adopted the culture and the beliefs of Babylon the Great, that also is historically true. For example, it's well known that many of the statuary that exists in Rome is based on statuary that comes from paganism. The image of the virgin and the child is not a Roman image. It's an image that goes all the way back to Babylon. Those images, they represent different figures of different legends and different stories and different myths, and many have suggested that the statuary that existed in Rome was simply changed. They kept the same Madonna and child and just changed the names. That, that, that's disconcerting, would you agree? But it still happened, and you can understand Why? And even that is not the end of the world, but it, it definitely shows that there's corruption at the heart of this system. Rome is truly, politically, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. There's no question about that. This is going to get a little rough. You're like, now we're going to get rough? I mean, this hasn't been rough up until this point. Rome has spawned both spiritual and literal harlots by the millions. What do I mean? Much of the cause can be traced back to the unbiblical demand that her priests be celibate. Popes, cardinals, bishops, monks, and priests have repeatedly violated such vows because those vows should never have been made. Celibacy makes sinners of the clergy who engage in sexual immorality. And it also makes harlots out of those with whom they secretly are involved with. So calling this institution the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth is incredibly accurate. No other institution in the history of the world is her rival in this particular evil. History records many sayings that mocked the church's false claim to celibacy throughout the centuries which, by the way, they didn't adopt initially. It took some time, but eventually they did for for a number of reasons, most of it economical, some of it religious. Uh, Some have suggested that it was an easy way to keep the priests from having to marry those they were involved with. These are some of the sayings that were said at the time and throughout the centuries. These are not mine, and the language may be disturbing to you. They used to say, the holiest hermit has his whore. They used to say that Rome has more prostitutes than any other city because she has the most celibates. And they used to say, why be holier than the Pope? Pius II declared that Rome was the only, this is Pius II, this is a Pope, declared that Rome was the only city run by, excuse the language, bastards, sons of popes and cardinals. According to Catholic historian and former Jesuit Peter de Rosa, popes had mistresses of 15 years of age and innumerable children. They were guilty of incests and sexual perversions of every sort, and they were murdered in the very act of adultery by jealous husbands. So to say that this institution is corrupt is putting it mildly. Now, in the last verse, last section of this today. We see that she was drunk with the blood of the saints who bore the testimony to Jesus. Rome is responsible for shedding the blood of faithful Christian martyrs throughout the centuries. There is no question as to whether that's true or not. No institution on earth has more aggressively and consistently slaughtered Christians. Pope Innocent III in one day had 70,000 killed. Consider the Inquisitions, which held Europe in their terrible grip for centuries. It's estimated that in Spain alone, over three million were condemned to death. Over 300,000 were cruelly burned at the stake. Consider the four crusades initiated by various popes to retake the holy land of Rome. In the first crusade of 1096, Pope Urban II inspired the crusaders to take Jerusalem. Afterward, they herded all of the Jews into the synagogue and set it ablaze. Consider Nazi Holocaust, the Nazi Holocaust of Adolf Hitler, which was thoroughly known to Pius XII. Hitler said this. He said, I am doing what the church has done for 1500 years, only more effectively. He told the bishop that as a Catholic, he admired and wanted to promote Christianity. Brothers and sisters, Rome will be responsible for shedding the blood of the faithful saints through the tribulation as well. Now those are some harsh statements. And I didn't come up here to pick on anyone or to so much expose the truth about this institution as to encourage you. Because if you're like me, you read the news articles of people who 30, 40, 50 years ago come forward to say that they've been abused in many ways by this system. When I read history and see of the wickedness that has existed in this system, I want it to stop. I want it to end. I want God to judge this wicked system and deliver his people from it. You know, we oftentimes look at the White House and the Congress Even sometimes the Supreme Court, state governments, and we say, look at all the corruption, oh my goodness, look at all the corruption. All of those institutions together don't come close to the corruption that has infiltrated the supposed church of Jesus Christ. God knows this. God sees this. God will deal with this. Lord Heavenly Father, We thank you, Lord. We thank you because you have assured us that you are in control of all things and you're not going to let any injustice slip by you without being properly judged. You see more than we could ever see the wickedness that's described here in this passage. So, Lord, we're grateful that your judgment is coming. As we look now over the next two weeks at that judgment, may we understand that it's deserved and necessary but that even in this, you are giving even today those within these systems time to repent of their adulteries, time to repent of their perversions and their wickedness, because you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, your mercy and your grace are everlasting. Your compassions, they never fail. They're new every morning. You're long-suffering, merciful and gracious, beyond reckoning, and we know that you deal in mercy with mankind the most wicked among mankind. But the day will come when you bring your judgment. And we say with John, as he does at the end of this book, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, we acknowledge the truth that you came, and yet you did die on that cross for our sins, and you paid the price, and it's paid in full. You rose again on the third day, and you're coming again to judge the living and the dead, and that is the hope we have in you, our hope in Christ. We acknowledge this and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.